I'm Joe Devine and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. We talk a little bit about Liverpool's defensive frailties from a tactical perspective and we talk about what solutions the club might find from the perspective of both tactics and personnel. I should point out that the Liverpool video that we made for which this podcast is in support of was written and recorded before Liverpool's recent shift to a 4-2-2-2 formation. It's obviously not been long enough for us to tell whether they're going to stick with that or not, um, but that will explain the reason for its absence from these videos. If they do stick with it and, it and it works for them, then at some point in the future we'll revisit that too. Before we get started, one other thing I wanted to mention, which I do I mentioned at the end of the podcast as well, uh, is that Alex and I have discussed the possibility uh, of creating a weekly tactics podcast for TIFO. Um, at the moment, obviously, this podcast is weekly, but we're not limited in, 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 in the types of guests or topics that we discuss. So I speak with James Montague pretty regularly. We speak with Seb, the sub-editor, and we talk about stuff that isn't tactics-related. So if there's an appetite for a tactics podcast every week, um, it's definitely something we're considering doing. So please do let us know in the comments or on Twitter if that's something that you'd like for us to do. Uh, it'd be great to get some feedback on that because it's quite difficult Obviously, we can see how many downloads we get of the podcast, but we can't tell, you know, which ones people are, are enjoying the most, really. Um, so if there's appetite out there for a weekly tactics podcast, there's a bunch of different ways we could do it. We could look at teams in the same manner as we do now and, and record a 30, 40 minute episode about one team specifically. We could look at the weekend as it's just happened and pick out. Uh, the, the more interesting uh, tactical aspects of the games. So there's a bunch of different ways. Do send us your th- do send us your thoughts. Um, you can email us to uh, or go to tfo tfo oh, excuse me tfofootball.com uh, and all the contact information should be available there. Um, and if not, leave a comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, and YouTube. That'd be great. Okay, uh, thanks very much for indulging me, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So we recently made a video about Liverpool's defence uh, because this is something which comes up in the the sort of common football dialogue quite a lot, Alex, that Liverpool are a, a very fancy attacking team with lots of flair and are, are genuinely very exciting to watch. What they can do from it from an attacking perspective is very impressive. But defensively, they seem to, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but they seem to get sort of tarred with the, with the same stuck brush each year. Um, is that because they they're, they're a genuine defensive frailties? Is that is that part of a sort of broader narrative, uh, or what, what's your what's your opinion on that? I think they do have problems that appear recurrently. Um, I mean, obviously, when you're looking at these sorts of things, your Liverpool are or clearly should be a top six side, and so comparatively, the question first of all is: Can you mount? a sustainable title challenge with defensive issues and how does the Liverpool defence stack up compared to what the the other teams are doing? Um, I think it's an interesting one because I suppose in terms of a system, Liverpool are maybe closest to Man City. Uh, Man City tend to play with four at the back. They tend to have three attacking players who, you know, split 
wide and cut back inside. Man City do have, I think, a, more of a, a split two attacking, one defensive, purely defensive midfield, whereas Liverpool's is a bit more, um, I suppose, fluid. Uh, but, you know... Well, gung-ho sometimes seems to be the word. Well, that's certainly true. Um, you know, and if you look at if you look at Chelsea, they obviously they use their back three with wing-backs. Arsenal have increasingly done that. I can't remember the last time Arsenal played a back four. Um, Tottenham are reasonably fluid in that they will use a back four or a back three. Um, so, you know, it's kind of... And United are... Uh, well, I suppose United more of a back four, but again, there's there's a kind of a fluidity in the midfield there. So it's interesting to look at them comparatively and to see problems that recur for Liverpool. Um, well, let's do that now because I've got the, uh, the, the the statistics up in front of me. It's important to mention these will probably be slightly dated by the time that the podcast goes out, so uh, results over the weekend will, will have changed these. The first team that we mentioned... Uh, to, to compare to Liverpool, there was Manchester City, uh, who have a similar setup. Uh, they've conceded half the amount of goals, but the second uh, was Arsenal, who, in fact, actually from a different defensive frailty point of view, seem in, in a bit of a similar position to Liverpool. Uh, Arsenal have conceded 16 to Liverpool's 18, but in terms of shots faced on target, Arsenal have had more. And the interesting thing here, actually, is that. Uh, Arsenal's errors leading to shots and errors leading to goals are higher than Liverpool's which I suppose would that mean that we could infer from that that perhaps Arsenal's defensive frailty might come more from individual errors and Liverpool's more from a, a systematic approach it's a good question I, I think I think what's interesting about comparing those two is that there are actually similar problems that manifest themselves even though the two systems are different so Arguably, neither team has got a defensive screening midfielder of the quality of a Fernandinho or an N'Golo Kante or, say, an Eric Dyer if he plays in that role. Um, I think the other issue is is positioning on the pitch. And what is interesting in terms of how Arsenal and Liverpool both suffer from this problem is their centre-backs, Arsenal's three centre-backs, Liverpool's two... Uh, quite often end up either split or, in Liverpool's case, split from a fullback. So, in generally speaking, when you look at a three at the back system, and I think we've looked at this a bit with Arsenal before, the the central defender um, will more often than not be the one who is the better passer and who can carry the ball forwards. And when Chelsea played at the weekend, you saw Andreas Christensen doing that with great effect before he was replaced by Gary Cahill. Uh, Arsenal tend not to do that. They tend to have more um, forward-moving passing centre-backs on the outside and a more kind of solid blocker in the middle. What that means is those two centre-backs get dragged wider, particularly because Arsenal's wing-backs push up, to cover across into those spaces and that can leave the central player isolated. With Liverpool, what happens is the two centre-backs and the full-back closest to the ball tend to drift across to that side because the wide midfielder, or there isn't a wide midfielder in, in a kind of classic 4-4-2 sense, the, 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 the wider of the central midfielders doesn't cover across so well, so the full-back 
has to push up further. The centre-backs have to move across to cover that gap behind the full-back. And then the far full-back can get quite badly isolated. Um, and so in both instances, what ends up happening is a, a, a gap in the defensive line, usually in the half-space, um, and teams can obviously attack that at will. And it's particularly clear when it's teams like Spurs who often overload their attackers in the half space anyway, all of a sudden that defence has got massive problems. And and Liverpool Liverpool's issues are that as as you you know, as is very clear in a four three three system, a lack of width in the sort of middle third of the pitch is the biggest single problem. And that you you know, the the fullbacks need to push up to compensate for that, but then you're leaving effectively two men at the back to to become isolated if the the middle of the midfield three isn't dropping back enough to cover and that's that's what's happening time and again with Liverpool. Well presumably also you have the same effect take place in the the central three in the midfield if you're playing a, a 4-3-3 let's say for example that the the two wider players in that midfield three uh have a tendency to to push wide, whether it's in a defensive capacity or not. Presumably they isolate the middle player there as well. And if you are facing a team like Spurs, who have players, as you say, overload in the half spaces, or players who like to drop off between the lines, that could cause equally cause problems, right? Yeah, and and I think the the, the issue with a 4-3-3, um, this is why you see so many teams who are a 4-3-3 in attack drop into quite a definitive 4-5-1 in defence is they expect those players to to drop into the wide areas to help the fullback out ahead of the fullback. The issue that Liverpool have is for a start they play heavily on the counter press. So those two wide players and they're very effective players people like Sadio Mane or Mo Salah or uh, Adam Lallana when he's fit and actually Lallana is the best at doing this and and you know Liverpool are defensively stronger when Lallana's playing because he works harder and he does this more astutely but those players need to remain up otherwise the counter press doesn't work and Firmino for all his undoubted skill um, and he was superb at the weekend he is not really a striker who can hold on to the ball long enough to bring support to him in the way that, say, Sergio Aguero could. So he could very easily become isolated or he can then drop in himself coming to look for the ball and all of a sudden you're kind of almost playing a strikerless formation, which, again, doesn't leave options on the counter-press. So Liverpool kind of find themselves caught between wanting to play a certain kind of attacking style with really talented players but not really being able to find a defensive solidity that matches that particularly well. So what's the answer then? Because we, you know, we've looked at teams like Burnley this season who defend very well and defend very compactly. And it sounds like in Liverpool's case that some of the issues of defensive frailties come about when a, a particular player, notably the fullback, it becomes isolated on one side or there's too much space between a fullback and a and a, and a centre-back. Let, let's look at this two different ways. What if, for example, you were to suggest that uh, Liverpool's defence and midfield needed to be more compact vertically and horizontally, and as the team shifts across, they should all shift together? As an example, could could that uh, work to, 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 
to solve some of these problems? And if not, are we simply looking at a case of um, players who aren't talented enough to to make the system work, or, or is it, it really is it a systemic problem? Which which would you lay your hat on? I I don't I don't think you can question the talent of the Liverpool players, but I I do feel like particularly the fullbacks are so, you know they are better going forwards than they are defending. Now that's kind of could, could they be better suited to the system that Klopp wants to play? Um, I think I think what needs to happen is that the the midfield probably needs to move uh, horizontally more as a unit. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, contrasting them with Burnley, for example, Burnley play a four-four-two or a four-four-one-one, and they 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 generate that compactness quite organically because of the position of the players, and they also have the ability to play these longer outballs to you know a big forward like a Sam Vokes or an Ashley Barnes. So their wide midfielders don't need to get as far forward to play those kind of passes. So that the compactness is is there automatically. Manchester City, for example, they do it differently, whereby, and it's remarkable if you watch Manchester City regularly, how clear this pattern is, where you basically get a 2-3-2-3, and they're very distinctly split into five defensive players, five attacking players. Now, those those players don't have to be, for example, the two centre-backs, the defensive midfielder, and the two full-backs, they they will swap around much more. So if one of the fullbacks pushes very far forwards, you'll often get another player dropping back into that space to cover it. But but there is an absolutely clear pattern of ensuring that there are five players who stay reasonably far back. And also, obviously, with City, those fullbacks push inside a lot more. So even if you're looking at uh, you know maybe leaving the wide spaces open a bit it's very congested in the middle it means that the opposition have to play wide and then city can can sort of squidge sideways and use the touchline as another defender and that then gives the wide players the opportunity to come back and and create a defensive posture so they kind of block them and hold them up in a way that liverpool don't seem able to do and it's working as well because we can see here that in terms of shots on target faced, Manchester City, I think, have the best record by far in the league. They've only faced, uh, as far as these stats were relevant a week ago, 23 shots on target. And if we contrast that with Manchester United, who defensively have, have been superior in a way of speaking, because they've conceded one goal less, um, they have actually conceded 48 shots on target. So the the difference there is is, is huge. Obviously, something's working at Manchester City. Yeah, I, I, part of what's working at Manchester City, though, is that, that they just have the ball for so long that it does mean that opponents get fewer opportunities to even create a shot because they don't have the ball. City also play with a really high line and a keeper in Edison who plays behind that very, very competently with the ball at his feet so again you know City are compressing the playing space so much that it just makes it difficult for opponents to to even get near enough to a a position where they can generate a shot on target is noticeable um I watched the City game at the weekend and you know they they did still have problems with balls played diagonally and behind the fullbacks into that pocket of space so it's it, it's not like they're infallible um and obviously as 
as in the modern game, particularly with better sides, fullbacks push up more and more to provide width, which is a natural occurrence when you have, you know, wide players who are effectively inside forwards and cut inside and, and fullbacks are expected to provide that that width laterally up and down the pitch. There will be that space. Um and it's how you defend that space and, and West Ham were able to generate some of their their best attacking moments by playing the ball quite long into that space and, and getting someone like Antonio or Lanzini to chase it down. What they could then do with it was limited, but you know, that every side has a vulnerability. I heard a great line, actually. I can't remember who said it, but it was one of the commentators over the weekend was saying that, um, or pundits were saying that, that basically, you know, every team has strengths and weaknesses and the teams that are best are the ones that, that solve how to bypass the opponent's strengths quick enough to, to be able to make a difference. And, and what he was saying was Man City or Chelsea or, you know, those really top class sides, they're the ones who, when confronted with a certain defensive um, proposition that the opposition have given them, they're the ones who solve that quickest. Um, and it's it's interesting that, that West Ham, for example, who did play really well against Man City, it has to be said, they they were kind of half able to solve that conundrum. They could see where the weakness was, but they weren't then able to exploit it. Okay. So what about this then? Let's put it this way. Um, If you were to take over Liverpool Football Club tomorrow, Alex, (laughs) which I I know you'd love, you'd love it, uh, what what would you do about the defensive frailties? And consider that, as we've said, from an attacking point of view, everything looks to be working very well. And, you know, in fact... Uh, we made a video uh, very close to the beginning of the season about Mohamed Salah saying, you know, which I suppose was sort of obvious at the time, but it's, it's nice to have been vindicated on this, that he was going to score lots of goals. As it happens, he is now uh, the Premier League's top goal scorer. Um, so the, from an attacking perspective, think things are working very well. And you can say that, that Jurgen Klopp and, and the team are doing a, a really great job. But if, if you were to take over tomorrow, what changes would, would you make to the defence uh, to try and shore up these problems and, and try and put it in in I, I know you like uh, to talk to talk difficult language Alex <laughs> try and put it in uh, in terminology that everybody could could understand uh, okay so the, the the two main things that would you, would you give them a whip up the bum what would you do I, would you make them run I, laps around the pitch yeah. I'm just thinking about the common terminology I'd, I'd probably stand in the middle of the pitch having a cigarette while they all ran around the outside and cursed me for it you sound like an Italian coach from the seventies. That's, That's kind of, you know, the the, the ideal, isn't it? Um, no, I, the, it's to me there are two two fairly straightforward things. The first thing I would do is is ensure that the the far fullback did not get isolated. So whether that means getting one of the the wide midfielders to split earlier and cover back into that space, um, you might drill them by. I didn't they. Defenders used to get drilled by having like string tied to them and stuff, so they didn't get too far away from each other. Um, that that's the sort of thing that that needs to be done with Liverpool. You can't have Dejan Lovren charging forwards and getting caught out by the ball on the bounce. You can't have the the far fullback being massively isolated because the other part of the defence have shifted across. So so sort that relative and absolute positioning of the back four out. And then I would play a midfielder in the centre of the three who has much more of a kind of 
sitting, breaking up mentality. Um, I think is is, em- is Emre Chan suited to that, or would you try to find someone to bring in? I think Emre Chan is probably good enough. I, I you know, he's he's athletic, he's tall, he's got a very good range of passing, so he would be able to to kind of quarterback from there as well. I, I think the issue is that Klopp wants to encourage those players to express themselves in an attacking sense and what you need really is is somebody who will just sit there and do the kind of stolid tedious work like Fernandinho I mean Fernandinho is an incredible player and that's why you can have effectively two attacking midfielders in in David Silva and, and De Bruyne they're they're effectively both tens right and they can play as part of a midfield three with Fernandinho because he is so disciplined. He is so tactically astute. He is always in the right place doing the right thing. What's wonderful about him as well is, is that I think before he arrived at Manchester City, uh, he, he played in a much more attacking capacity. We know he's capable of yeah. it. He scored a few wonderful goals since he's arrived as well. So you you almost feel that there's, you know, he if he if he wanted to, if he wasn't so disciplined, he probably would start to, to move forward slightly. So there's there's, there's a sort of extra um, level of discipline and, and, going on there as well. And City, again, I, th- I think this is testament to how how Pep has has convinced those players of, of their roles and what they should be doing. Fabian Delph played that role against West Ham, um, having played largely as a, a left back so far this season, uh, a role in which he has excelled. And he came in back to his kind of more comfortable, more natural central midfield berth, although he's not played there for a long time, and did the role brilliantly. Because they all know what's expected of them, and they all believe that if they do what they're told, then the result will come. Um, and, I mean, Fabian Delph needs to be in the England squad for, for whatever happens, because he's, you know, he's just having such an incredibly good season. That, that versatility, that tactical intelligence... Um, so I, you know, you you want someone like that um, to be able to to play that role. And off the top of my head, I don't think Liverpool have have really got someone who can do that. Um, I think Chan probably could if he was tasked with it. But but you're thinking of someone like a, a Sammy Kadira or a Fernandinho or well, hey, listen, a you are now the Liverpool manager. Who who are you bringing? Jack in? Cork. Yeah. <laughs> I've always really liked Jack Cork. No, in all seriousness, if I were Liverpool, I'd be looking to buy Oriol Romeo from Southampton. Okay, that's an that's an interesting one. Are you saying that uh, as a Southampton fan, uh, do you have uh, rose tinted glasses on for Romeo? No. Or, or are you saying that as a as a as a sort of sociopathic football tactician? I'm saying that as a sociopathic football tactician. I I, I think. And what what's your reasoning? He 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 fills that role well. Yeah. You think? I think he does that job perfectly. I think he can. I think he can slip back in between two centre-backs and provide aerial cover if required. I think he's strong in the tackle. He's positionally astute, which partly compensates for lack of pace. He's, he isn't the quickest, but he's used to playing either in that sitting role in a midfield three or he can play in a midfield two Um and and of course he's a Southampton player, so that that fits a, a so there's probably like a, trend, a Liverpool specific buyout clause for him, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. Well, Jurgen Klopp, 
watch out. Watch your back. <laughs> Alex Stewart's in town. Uh, on Liverpool, then, let's say uh, that they... Um, well, let's, let's forget about their defensive frailties for now. Rather boring. Let's talk about their, 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 their attacking uh, successes, because they're, they're a very entertaining team to watch, aren't they? And it's been unfortunate this season that, that Salah and, and Mane have been uh, injured at sort of different times. But the, the, the number of games, as far as I'm aware, that they have played together hasn't maybe been num- numbered enough to you know, get that consistent regularity. But the prospect of the two of them playing together is, is, is very exciting, isn't it? They, they're a really, really good couple of players. I mean, Mane is, is the one who I think has really elevated Liverpool since he signed from Southampton. Um, he's absolutely, of, of the various players that we've sold um, to Liverpool, he's the one I think who is most fondly remembered by Southampton fans and, and most missed by the team. Um, that... The, the drive and, and tenacity that he displays, irrespective of the extraordinarily high skill levels, um, just make him the sort of player that you can build a team around. Liverpool have three that you can do that with, you know, him, Salah and Firmino, when they play in combination, um, because they all have extraordinary positional flexibility. Um Firmino is very comfortable playing as a as a kind of proper ten, uh, as well as as a striker. And Salah can play on either wing or as a striker, as he showed at Roma. Um, and Mane similarly either wing, probably weakest purely up front. Although Southampton did use him that way a couple of times, um, usually alongside somebody kind of bigger in in a more of a sort of um, twin striking capacity I think they just are capable of posing defences numerous questions because their ability to then it's it's a little bit like what Tottenham do except Liverpool are doing it with greater width Tottenham are are playing with two players behind a central striker but quite narrow but who can all interchange and pop up in between the lines unexpectedly Liverpool are doing that, but they're doing that horizontally rather than vertically. And the players are able to cut inside or or play out wider, while they also have that ability to, in Firmino's case, to drop off and create space for those inside runs. And that's what we highlighted when we did that Salah video right at the beginning of the season, the, the first time that we did a kind of player-specific um, tactical profile, was you, you look at players... And their abilities, and it's it's all well and good, you know. So and so is a great player, right? They they get into good positions, they can score goals, they're quick, whatever it is. Good players become great players within systems that work for them, and those systems require other players to be doing certain things to to facilitate what that first player needs to do. And that's the great thing about what Liverpool have got going is that they have a complementary front three who can all work together, who all create space for the other, who all understand what the other is trying to do. And and that's why they're working so well. You know, you could you could have those players in different systems and, and they wouldn't work nearly as effectively. Okay, you were the Liverpool manager. You're now the Liverpool chairman. <laughs> right. Let's consider this. Uh, what is your appraisal of, of Jurgen Klopp from beginning to date? How do you think he's doing uh, what what would what moves would you be making as the Liverpool chairman? 
It's a curious one, isn't it? Because in terms of of actual success, there's not really been a great deal. Um, there's no doubt that that Liverpool have stability now, which they didn't have before, um, and they went through you know a range of managers, some of whom seemed, shall we say, ill suited to the kind of traditional style of playing that that Liverpool have had. Um, yeah, I, good old Roy Hodgson. Um, I think the, I, I think transfer work needs improvement, particularly defensively. Um, I, I, you know, I think Matip has some qualities, certainly, but I'm, I'm not really convinced by him. Dejan Lovren, is a curate's egg because actually I always thought Lovren was very good when he was at Southampton, but he just doesn't seem to to bed in. I think Liverpool have still not solved the goalkeeping conundrum. Mignolet's been better this season, but you know you, you spend a lot of money on a young German keeper who's supposed to come in and play a certain way in Lorius Carius, and that just didn't work out. So you know you you need to have. I think the key the key point with the the best teams is they have a spine to them. You know, if you look at Manchester United, your spine is De Gea, and then it's well, probably it's Eric Bally now, maybe, you know, Phil... Well, but yeah, I mean, Bally's been injured for a yeah, while, but certainly uh, early form in and, the season and would have Jones made, has been very good too. And then, you know, obviously going forwards, you've, you've then got Pogba, who is just glorious. Um, and Matic, of course. And Matic for a different kind of spine. Yeah, so in fact, you've really got two players there. Um, you've got two spines. You've got two spines. Imagine that. You're a double vertebrae. What do they call them? A vertebrae. A double vertebrae. Yeah. Um, you know, at Chelsea have got... Um, I, I would say that Christensen is really coming to the fore now as as a, a, a superb player. But, you know, Courtois, Christensen or Cahill, Kante, Fabregas Don't forget about Danny Drinkwater. Come now. Do you know what? I I watched that game where Hazard scored a couple. I'm trying to remember who it was against. Oh, Newcastle. Um, That's right. Massive props to Carl Darlow for his goalkeeping performance and his post-match interview, by the way. He seemed like a really nice person, <laughs> which is not often something you think. But I So I watched that game, and I just don't get the point of Danny Drinkwater in that right. system. I... I I think it was perhaps just for moral support for Ngolo Kante. Do you know what? It, the number of times that I I would watch Drinkwater showing for the ball and just not getting it, whether his kind of sole job is to be the guy that other people mark so that they're not marking someone else. It, I just, yeah, I was a bit baffled by that whole thing, to be honest. Well, let's keep an eye on that. Let's keep an eye on that. My point being that Great teams have great spines, right? And we can we can look at, at plenty of other teams to, to find examples of that. Liverpool, to me, they don't have that spine. They don't have a goalkeeper that's strong enough. They don't have a centre-back that's strong enough. They've got talented midfielders, but none of them are of that level or play specifically that kind of solid style. It's only really when you get to the front three that that they absolutely have unquestionable quality. That's and true. And it kind of yeah. You... And in the wake of Jamie Carragher, that's not enough. 
in the wake of Jamie Carragher, that's not enough. Exactly. Yes, I would agree with that. But also, I mean, you know, previous Liverpool sides that have done really well have always, you know, they've had that kind of really strong anchoring. I mean, think of Didi Harman. You know, he was he was exactly that sort of player um, who would really tie down everything else around him and just ensure that there was a, a stable base that everybody else could play from. Um, it's where Arsenal have gone wrong, in my opinion, by trying to make Granit Xhaka that sort of player when he's actually not. Granit Xhaka is a is a playmaker. He's kind of he's almost more of a sort of Fabregas style of player. You know, the the range. He's a of, galloper, right? And and they have El Nene, but he's obviously not convinced. He is more of that style of player. But well, Francis Coquelin. Uh, Coquelin's kind of more of a just a terrier who runs around headlessly trying to close people down and foul them isn't he he's not he doesn't mm, have like an angry nephew <laughs> um you 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 want you the, the players that i really admire are the ones who who always seem to be in the right place at the right time and just very quietly sweep up and then lay the ball off short or long but create those opportunities for one of the most underrated players for me in the Premier League in the last however many years is Leon Britton at Swansea that was Leon Britton to a T like he was always there he always just quietly swept up the ball whenever it was in that space in front of the back four and then there would be a a good pass Darren Fletcher Darren Fletcher, absolutely Darren Fletcher would do and that's why I kind of half jokingly say Jack Cork but Jack Cork's doing that Andy Sermon at Bournemouth, superb player, and he was for us as well. Um, all the really good sides have got that guy who you don't necessarily notice, but they do all of the important stuff. And at Liverpool it's just don't with have Sermon that. as well, wasn't it? Because he started out as a winger, didn't he? Um, at, at Palace. I think he, was on the, he played as a left midfielder. I think that's right. I think he also played a little bit um, at the back for us but he he was I mean Southampton actually had quite a, a strong tradition of those sorts of you know the the kind of slightly workmanlike central midfield pairing people like Matt Oakley who was a great player Chris Marsden Rory Delap when he was in his pomp Davy Prutton oh Delap you know Scott Parker good example of that sort of player and it's, That's it's true. He he had a sort of he had one glorious year, didn't he, with Spurs, Scott Parker? Yeah, but you know that those players are they are capable of doing other stuff. You know, Matt Oakley scored some absolutely screaming goals, but they are the sort of players who are able to to put themselves at, at the service of the rest of the team. And They're the everyman. Yeah, the Toby Jones. They are the Toby Jones, and and maybe. <laughs> Maybe the issue with with Klopp is that he he kind of almost doesn't want an everyman. Even even when you know when he was at Dortmund and he had players like Gundogan or or Weigel, they they had much more of a kind of creative bent, and there was this kind of hell for leather approach. But then that's true. Maybe that maybe there's a tactical attempt to try and negate the need for the everyman. Right. But really, but the way that can you ever get rid of the everyman? I don't think so, particularly if your central defensive pairing is Matip and Lovren. And of course, um, you know, at Dortmund, he had Mats Hummels and and Hummels is good enough to be able to kind of negate that stuff. That's the thing. And that's why I said earlier, you know, perhaps talent was the wrong word. But I think, you know, you see teams who get away with uh, 
get away with stuff because of the talent of one player. For example, you know, David De Gea being probably the best example of of recent weeks that we could think of as a player who features in those post-match conversations where people say, well, you know, if, if, if they didn't have him in goal, they would have lost that game. And you think, well... I suppose it's a good job that he plays for that team, you know, and 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 he enables the team to to be more frail in in other areas and, and get away with it. And Jamie Carragher, I'm sure, did that uh, for a long time at Liverpool. And in fact, we were talking about Arsenal before. Tony Adams did that at Arsenal alongside a number of of other, you know, Martin Keown as well, a number of other great central defenders. Um, and I I think, you know, that that cannot be. Um, that cannot be underestimated because if they negate frailties elsewhere, you know, based on the fact that they're just just slightly better than than the best other players, by not replacing them in in you know with with like for like, which of course is very very expensive nowadays. And in fact, with central defenders, you could you could even argue uh, that the the cost for the very best you know jumps up significantly more because there's arguably fewer of them around. Um, but it, it, presumably it's totally vital, and 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 uh, we go back to your role as Liverpool manager. Do you do you honestly feel like the centre back pairing, or the centre back offering, even that the squad has to offer at the moment, is strong enough for a team who who ideally want to be challenging for the title? No. Well, and presumably that's that's where someone would begin, right? If they had the finances, if they had the capability to attract the better players, uh, you know, we can we can. And, and in a way, this is a broader conversation about about tactics as well, because obviously this is very important. And you, you and I spend a lot of time talking about this. We make videos about this as well. But you could you could make an argument that at the very basis of it, if you don't think that the players there are capable of the long term goal of the of the, of the of the of the club, then the first move must be to replace them. Yes, I think that's true. And I think if you look at Look at someone like Guardiola, right, who's as as demanding and intelligent a coach as you could probably hope to play for. He he always valued people like Philip Lahm most highly because they were the ones who could adapt to what he wanted. And, I mean, he had some very good centre-backs, particularly at Bayern with Jerome Bertang. Um, but I think... If if you if your players aren't up to making a system work, either because they aren't talented enough, they're not intelligent enough to understand, and we're talking football intelligence here. I'm not saying that people are thick. I'm just, you know, it, it, I heard John Stones being interviewed about working with Guardiola, and John Stones is, and I say this with no disrespect, he is not the most articulate person in the world, but it was very clear that he had learned a huge amount under Guardiola. His footballing intelligence had improved, even if he couldn't explain that terribly clearly. Um, and he is, you know, the, he's an intelligent footballer. Um, those sorts of players, they make your your system sink or swim. And, the, you know, often nowadays, the best managers are the ones who who bring complicated systems with them because the game has evolved and, and you can't simply be a Roy Hodgson anymore and have a very well, well drilled four four two that works in a particular kind of defensive way. And that's kind of enough if you've got a couple of good guys up front. So if those players aren't intelligent enough to adapt, if they're not, 
you know, and, and I'm not saying it's purely the Liverpool players' fault. You know, I do I do think that there's an issue with the way Klopp gets his midfield to play, but clearly there is a gap in understanding with the the goalkeeper in the back four in terms of how they need to play in reference to how he wants the rest of the team to play, or he's telling them and they aren't listening, and you need to then replace those players and. And it's it's very, very difficult because, like you say, having that kind of complete package of, of you know, the, if you think about who the very best central defenders in the world are, you're looking at people like Chiellini, Sergio Ramos, Jerome Bertang. They've all been at the clubs that they're at for a long time, you know, and there's a reason for that. It's because they're, they're the ones that you, you build a side around. You don't you don't just fritter them away. Gerard Piquet at Barcelona is another good example. You know, absolute building block for a side. And if you go right back through, you know, and I'm, I'm not ages and ages, but you've, you've referenced Tony Adams, for example, and he was paired with Steve Bold and he was paired with Martin Keown. Or you look at Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister for Man United. Or you look at... Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand. Right, the There's a reason that Rio Ferdinand costs so much fucking money, because he's that good. Like he did everything superbly, and he also had this absolutely killer mentality, which I didn't realize. Because Rio Ferdinand comes across as a really placid guy, right? You know, very chill. Well, he does boxing now. <laughs> okay, maybe less chill in that regard. But he was interviewed by it was on a BBC program I, I saw a clip from recently and he was saying about how he'd grown up with Lampard Frank Lampard at West Ham and they were really good mates and then Lampard moved to Chelsea he eventually ended up at Manchester United they stopped speaking they could not be friends because they were at rival clubs and now they've stopped playing football and they're friends again but the intensity of that desire to win and that ability to you know I, I kind of that it's hugely admirable it's not something i would be able to do um and i think that's why players like ferdinand or the the defenders that i've mentioned before uh command such high transfer fees there is nobody at liverpool that that is anywhere near that bracket okay well i'm sure liverpool will be in touch <laughs> i'm certain that'll happen yeah i reckon so uh, thanks very much for for joining us today, and uh, we'll chat to you again soon. In fact, I should I should mention that uh, that uh, the two of us are, are working on uh, an idea for potentially doing this in a tactics sense more regularly. Yes, we are, and uh, uh, yeah, as ever with um, what we do on Tifo, we welcome people to get in touch and and make suggestions because we're always looking to respond to what you know sensible suggestions. Um, because That's true. yeah, you know it's. We, you know, you guys are out there listening to what we're saying, and and if there's things that you want us to talk about or examine, then then that's always really helpful. If you want Alex Stewart to be the manager of your club, <laughs> uh, please get in touch. If you'd like him to be the chairman, uh, I know he's available uh, to to run the canteen, etc. Uh, but yes, we are uh, uh, talking about the idea at the moment of having a podcast which is solely focused on on tactics so if that's something that that you would be interested in listening to 
please do let us know because at at the moment, speaking entirely honestly, at the moment this podcast is an amalgamation of a few different things. Obviously, I talk to Alex about tactics, but we have James Montague on as well. We talk about a plethora of different things with him, and we will use this space to to interview authors and you know a bunch of different people. Uh, so I, I really don't know why why people are listening. What what people's you know favorite aspect of it is. So if there's an appetite out there for tactics talk every week. Uh, perhaps Tifo Tactics is something that that we could consider doing. So do let us know in the comments section. Alex, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again very soon. You take care. Each of us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University offers over 175 high-quality online programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.